Crawchuck here, and welcome to Episode 10 of the Pennsylvania Project. As you know, here at the Pennsylvania Project, our vision is a better Pennsylvania. To achieve that vision, our mission is to boldly showcase the political, cultural, and environmental challenges facing contemporary Pennsylvania, and to explore their solutions. But more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem. That means the first question we always ask is, what problem are you solving? We have a therapeutic episode planned today, and like all episodes of the Pennsylvania Project, it's divided into three parts. You, them, and me. Part one is all about you, your questions, your opinions, your solutions, your whatevers. And rather than a call-in format, we are an email-in format. So if you have something to say, you can contact us at PennsylvaniaProject.com. Do it, because you are an integral part of every episode. And you can always listen in on Google iTunes, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast provider provider may be. Today for the you part, we have a whole bunch of new questions. They keep coming in. One of them, why would anybody want to be a politician? Spider-Man's advice for police officers? Housing affordability issues? Fracking severance taxes? And reducing the size of the statehouse if we got time for that? And a whole bunch more. After that, part two is all about them Each episode, we host a guest to help us showcase the political, cultural, and or environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. Today, our guest is a mix of the political and cultural. We have Chris Dreisbach, a different kind of drug warrior, a very different kind of drug warrior. After that comes part three of the Pennsylvania Project, the me part, where it's my turn. Your caster, Ken Krawchuk. I'll be focusing on some particular issue that really sticks in my craw. Last episode, I spoke of police killing citizens. Today's issue, laws that kill citizens. A segue off our guest warrior today. And throughout the show, we'll be featuring a Pennsylvania Toastmaster to narrate our live commercials and whatever comes into the mailbag. Today we have with us Toastmaster Calvin Kenialli, the man with a great radio voice. (laughs) Welcome to the Pennsylvania Project, Calvin. Thank you, Ken. Well, let's dig right into that mailbag. And remember, our mission here is not just to complain, but to explore solutions. So what do we have today, Calvin? Well, our first question comes from Teresa Smith from Drexel Hill. And Teresa asks, you've run for governor three times now. Why do you want to be a politician? (laughs) I get that question a lot. Pardon me, Teresa, I do not consider myself a politician because I haven't broken any promises yet. When I break my first promise, then you can call me a politician. But no, seriously, on a more serious note, reason I got involved in politics is because I believe Pennsylvania is on the wrong track. And if I don't personally take a hand in making things different, I have no right to complain. But what's my goal? Why? How would I change things? Well, as a libertarian, I believe you have the right to live your life your way without interference, provided only you respect the rights and property of others. I would like to see Pennsylvania politicians live by that political golden rule. My wife Roberta and I, we got children in the state, grandchildren in the state. And I want the best possible future for them and not suffer at the hands of those who are politicians. So I have no choice. I have to get involved. And I've I've been asked, am I going to run again in the next governor election, which is a ways away still, and ask my wife. She'll say no. (laughs) All right. Good answer, Ken. Um, Thank you. Our next question comes from Larry Fry from Bradford County, and he just has a comment. Okay. And this is what he says. Um, it is my experience most police, o- police officers are good people, mm-hmm. but sadly it only takes a few bad apples to spoil the rest. If we as a society give our police, in fact, all first responders, 
a measure of privilege above that of citizens that are not first responders, then they need to hold a higher standard. At the risk of sounding like a Stan Lee comic book line, <laughs> with great power comes great responsibility. No knock warrants, an atrocity that costs the lives of both civilians and police need to end. All first responders need, need to hold a higher standard <laughs> if they are to enjoy a legal privilege in our society, presuming their key role to the society. I say this as a former first responder and someone who clearly understood my role in the community. When I was a par- when I was on duty as a paramedic, I took my role very seriously. I held others accountable as well. If we were to permit a se- separate set of rules for first responders, the first responder needs to help to be held to a higher standard, not just ethically but as a matter <coughs> of law. And he says, "Thank you for your work in promoting liberty in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania." Hmm. Well, Thank you for those kind words, Larry. I'll try and do my best. And I, I definitely agree. One bad apple certainly does taint the rest of them. Let me some background. As I mentioned, I guess it was episode eight. I attended the Abington Citizens Police Academy a few years ago. And while I was there, I, I learned three basic truths about the police. Number one is that they care very deeply and honestly for the communities that they serve. Number two, they have very impressive weaponry and they train constantly. They could conquer us at any given instant. But number three that I learned, they do eat a lot of donuts. <laughs> but I, I would agree that they should be held to a higher standard. And that, when I heard that, it really caught my ear because that would be true if they're given special privileges, privileges that you and I don't have. But the basic question becomes, why should we give them special privileges? Governments only have the power that we the people delegate to them. So where did, they get the, where did we get the right to give them privileges that you and I don't have? Do I have the right to a no-knock warrant? Larry mentions it. I know I don't. Nobody does. Nobody I know does. So how can we delegate a power to the police that we don't have? Well, the short answer is we can't. So what do we do instead? Well, that's a long answer. It's outlined in detail in my novel, Atlas Snubbed. We're going to have a commercial for that pretty soon. There aren't, in this community I put together in Atlas Snubbed, there's there's no such thing as a no-knock warrant. There's no such thing as the institutionalized theft known as taxation. Everything in town is guided by the single central libertarian principle. You have the right to live your life your way as long as you respect the rights and property of others. The novel outlines a place where there's no need for that quote-unquote higher standard, no need for the special privileges, no need to delegate, delegate powers we don't have. No need for politicians. There I am with the politicians again. The book is called Atlas Snubbed. As I said, there's a commercial coming up for it at the first break. And I have to dedicate more time to discussing it in an up- upcoming episode because I can go on for a while. You know, we, we had a guest who didn't make it in the storm back in episode nine, and I had some extra time. Next time that happens, I will talk about the society that was put together in Atlas Snubbed. But not today. Well, I'm looking forward to that, Ken. Thank you. And our next question comes from Dana Scarberry, who's with Habitat for Humanity of Greater Pittsburgh. And Dana lives in Allegheny County. And this is what Dana says. More than a third of all U.S. families are cost-burdened, paying more than 30% of their income on housing costs. Nearly 17% are severely cost-burdened and pay half their income on rent. In Pittsburgh, one third of renters are cost-burdened, making it difficult for families to pay for other necessities. The lack of supply, especially for those with the lowest incomes, has only made this problem worse. 
What is the role of government in addressing housing affordability issues? <laughs> you know, I think after the roads, this is probably the sort of question that I get the most. What should the government do to help X? Where X may be a certain city, an organization, a profession, housing affordability, in this case at hand, whatever it may be. And the last time this question came up was episode seven, three episodes ago, about government, the role in, of government in faith funding basic research. I can talk. But before you can answer any of those sorts of questions, you have to first answer a fundal under, underlying question. What is the proper role of government at all? Well, as a libertarian, I believe the only role for government is to protect the rights and property of citizens. That's it. Because if you go anywhere beyond that, it creates a battlefield among special interests. And Pennsylvania already is supporting some flat-out unbelievable special interests. And I mentioned this before. We're giving $400 million of your tax money to support horse racing. $400 million for horse racing. Cut me a break. See, to me, regardless of the question, whether it's horse racing or affordable housing, it's all the same basic issue. Because once you start supporting one private industry, one private person, one cause, where does it stop? And that's not just my opinion, because I learned about this from something else. I learned about it from a legendary American, Davy Crockett. Most people only know him from Disney shows when he was portrayed as king of the wild frontier out in the Old West. They only know that he wore a coonskin cap. Some people who are a little more schooled will know that he died at the, defending the Alamo in the Spanish-American War. But what few people know, he was also a United States congressman, served several terms. He spoke about his experience with politicians who like to use the power of government to give money to special interests. He found that that was one of the worst ideas possible. The story got written down oh, probably about 20 years after he died in a pamphlet called Not Yours to Give. And I have here a key excerpt from it, which really addresses directly the question that, oh, I forgot her name, Dana was asking. I can do it. Here's what David Crockett said, quote, The power of collecting and dispersing money at pleasure is the most dangerous power that can be entrusted to man, particularly under our system of collecting revenue by a tariff. Because if you have the right to give to one, you have the right to give to all you will very easily perceive what a wide door this would open for fraud, corruption, and favoritism on one hand, and for robbing people on the other hand. Prophetic. Very, very prophetic. It's exactly what we had today. $400 million for horse racing. Now Dana wants me to do something for affordable housing. You know, right now, Pennsylvania is being bankrupted by these special interests. 80% of Pennsylvania budget right now goes for giveaway programs. Personally, I stand against funding special interests, and I bet most people do too. We need to cut that kind of sp spending. That would allow us to cut taxes. That will stimulate the economy and empower the free market to address the needs of society, such as funding basic research or affordable housing or whatever X you think government should be funding. Otherwise, Davy Crockett's going to have the last laugh on us. Well. Our next question comes from Kimberly Johnson from Pittsburgh, and this is what Kimberly says. Do you support the Marcellus Shell Sovereign's tax as proposed in Governor Wolf's budget as a way to provide sustained revenue for Pennsylvania? Marcellus Shell Severance tax. Do I support that? Short answer is no. In fact, I don't support any sort of severance tax. Or even looking broader, I really don't support any tax at all. 
I'd like to see fund, funded voluntarily as much as possible because taxes are already far too high. And the reason they're so high is because spending is high, whether it's on government research or affordable housing or horse racing, whatever it is. You know, the cost of Pennsylvania's government has been rising on average at more than three times the rate of inflation on average for over 50 years. In 1964, Harrisburg took an, av- Harrisburg took an average of $100 per person. Today, it's over $2,500 and still growing. It doesn't matter if they're Democrats in office or Republicans. It doesn't matter if it's a high inflation period during the Carter era or low inflation period like we're having now. The direction is up, 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 up. Going back to the first question from Teresa Smith, that's one of the big reasons I've, I've run for governor three times now. Because if I get elected governor, that trend will end. I'm promising to use the to veto every single tax increase and aggressively use the line item veto to eliminate those unconstitutional pork barrel spendings on special interests. I'll become the Davy Crockett of Pennsylvania. If you're looking for sustained revenue or the best way to achieve that, the only way is a booming economy. Tax cuts always spur the economy and I would spur Pennsylvania's economy like never before. The last thing we want to do is damage the economy with higher taxes, especially on the fracking industry. I hear that Pennsylvania has more natural gas than all of Saudi Arabia. That our state is key to guaranteeing America's energy independence. And it'll also eliminate the need for another blood for oil war. Why would anyone want to stand in the way of that? Why would we have a severance tax? Certainly not me. Enough is enough. Well, that should probably do it. We're running short on time here. That'll do it for the you portion of the show. We're going to pause now for this information. And when we return, we'll be talking with a very different kind of drug warrior. Our guest, Chris Dreisbach. Did you hear the latest news? Almost two-thirds of all federal spending now goes to pay for the welfare state. More than $2.2 trillion, which just about equals federal income. Do you realize what that means? Virtually all tax revenue is now being consumed by the welfare state. But how do we rein in that runaway spending before it destroys America? The answer? The separation of society and state. That's the premise of the new novel, Atlas Snubbed, an unsanctioned parody sequel to Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. Atlas Snubbed presents a workable alternative to the welfare state as we know it. Atlas Snubbed expertly extends Rand's epic story of a looter's world snubbed by the men of the mind, bringing to life a crumbling post-apocalyptic world where no one need ask who is John Galt, because now they know. Atlas Snubbed. Available at all online bookstores or through atlassnubbed.com. Read it today before it's too late. Hey, Ken Crawchalk here, caster for the Pennsylvania Project. You know, it's easy to find a high-paying job. At least for some people it is. Employers are begging for competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. But do those words describe you? Competent leader? Communicates effectively? If not, or even if they do, you may want to consider joining Toastmasters. The mission of Toastmasters is to provide a supportive environment for learning communication and leadership skills. But does it really work? Hey, look at me. I joined Toastmasters, and now I have my own radio show. So turn your life around like I have. Visit Toastmasters.org and contact a club near you. Visitors are always welcome, and be sure to mention my name. The future is anxiously awaiting competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. You can be that leader. 
It all starts at Toastmasters.org. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, and welcome to the Them portion of Episode 10 of the Pennsylvania Project, where we host a guest to help showcase the political, cultural, and environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. My guest today mixes the political and cultural, Chris Dreisbach, a very different kind of drug warrior, as I've been saying. He's a serial entrepreneur and business person based out of South Central Pennsylvania. Chris currently serves as a chief executive officer of Blueprints for Addiction Recovery Incorporated, a multi-site drug and alcohol treatment provider, and is co-founder of Second Chance PA, a pre-arrest diversionary program offering individuals opportunities for treatment instead of incarceration and involvement with the judicial system, which is always a crapshoot. Chris, welcome to the Pennsylvania Project. Thanks for having me, Ken. Oh, great to see you again. It's been a while. Yeah, it sure has. Well, I was looking at your your resume there. This is this is a libertarian's dream. You know, there there are people who will be doing drugs, maybe they're doing recreationally, maybe they're addicted, whatever it is. But the first thing that happens, cop walks by and they're in trouble. And that that's where you come in. Yeah. Yeah, I mean Realistically, Blueprints is a drug and alcohol treatment center. So the people that we serve are those who are addicted to drugs Uh uh, that have a legitimate um, mental disorder when it comes to substances. So you don't see pot smokers then? On occasion, on occasion we do. We see somebody who might uh, might smoke so much that that perhaps it damages their life a little bit, Uh uh, be it financially, be it you know, relationships, uh, different things like that. It's pretty rare, uh-huh. but I, on occasion we do. Speaking from my own experience, I would say that it's definitely not addictive. Yeah. yeah. I'm just curious. I'm getting an expert opinion here. Yeah. I, I have no comment on the level, <laughs> uh, but each individual is different. So some uh-huh. people do have uh, certain That's true. Things. You know, <laughs> one, one thing that's getting me these days is I'm, I'm addicted to those uh, Altoids, peppermints. I love them. Altoids are the number one drug that we deal with. (laughs) (laughs) I bet. Well, I'll I'll be coming to visit you real soon. All right. Sounds good. We'll save a bed for you. Thank you. Well, what sort of people do you have coming through the door? Altoid people or what? Altoids mostly, yeah. Um, (laughs) Every now and then you get one of those um, ice cube gum people. Uh, They get addicted to those. Uh Uh, What else? Dentine. Dentine's a a hot one. Uh, But they got nice teeth. Yeah, absolutely. All the time. Uh, (laughs) A little different than meth. That's I where guess. your teeth go the other way. Is it? Mm-hmm. Not being a meth person, I wouldn't know. No. Yeah, you don't strike me as a guy who would do well on meth. Uh-huh. Now, how do you how do you find these people? Yeah, right. <laughs> how do you find these people? Do you, like, hang out at jails and wait for them to, some guy with big, wide, bloodshot eyes walking through the door saying, hey, I can help you? No, I, I wish. I wish that we were allowed in jails uh, more frequently to be able to do that, to help people who have substance use disorders that are locked up so that it could stop them from being locked up the next time. Uh-huh. Uh, in my personal life, I was in jail three separate times. And at any given point during those three times, somebody could have looked and said, this young man right here has a problem. He needs help, not incarceration. Uh-huh. And they just kept putting me in a little cage and kept not fixing the problem uh-huh. over and over and over again until finally I landed in the right place where they understood how to fix the problem that I was suffering from. And that was my next question. What was that other place? How did that happen? So it actually happened because there was a progressive judge in 2007, a very progressive judge who sent me to the correct treatment center uh, for drug and alcohol use. Uh-huh. And they then 
furthermore sent me to a halfway house, which continues the treatment that I needed. And they allowed me to get back on my feet and provided me a place to live. And mm-hmm. and now here you are, you're running your own organization, Second Chance PA and CEO. Absolutely. And I, I saw the car you drove in on. Yep. <laughs> It makes my 2001 Lumina look like a 2001 Lumina. <laughs> the Lumina is a little nicer than the Navigator, but it's okay. <laughs> Depends what you're doing. Certainly it doesn't draw as much attention. No. Well, maybe it does. Maybe it draws more attention. Could, well, that's oh. true. It depends what neighborhood you're in and what you're trying to get away with. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what is the organization? So how do you... How do you find these people? So Second Chance, Second Chance specifically is separate from Blueprints. Second Chance is a, a community organization a complete nonprofit where we partner with police chiefs and police patrolmen to actually help the people that need that help. Um, so there are a lot of warm handoff programs going on in the area. I don't know if you're familiar with warm handoff at I've all. I've never heard the term. Okay, so a warm handoff is if you overdose and you get transported to the hospital by EMS or first responders. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> they will often – that's why I need the cough button, Mark yeah. – <laughs> um, They'll actually then set somebody up with a certified recovery specialist post-overdose, usually a couple hours later, as a warm handoff and get them into treatment. Uh So the Second Chance program pushes a fire handoff where we have a certified recovery specialist respond on scene right away. Now you say certified. Certified how by who? Certified by the state of Pennsylvania. Oh, no. Oh, no. I know you'd love that. Yeah, what? Um, Really, the certified recovery specialist that we hire – then get trained additionally in something we call care coordination. So those people are trained on how to find a person an appropriate bed. Uh So where they need to go, essentially. What this judge did for you several years ago? Essentially, the judge set me up with the the County Drug and Alcohol Commission, and they secured a bed for me. Now Uh it's more or less a crapshoot where you're going to end up when you go into a a county similar to that. And thankfully, the roulette wheel stopped at the exact right place for me at the exact right time, uh-huh. and I was able to get the help I needed. Excellent. Can I ask the judge's name? Um, yeah. Yeah, Robert Steinberg, I, Lehigh County. I didn't ask. If you're I, watching. I just, I just asked if I, if I, <laughs> if I could ask. No, Thanks no, for tricking me, Now I'm Ken. playing games with you. Robert Steinberg? Absolutely. I'll endorse him to the day I die. Uh-huh. Is he... One of the Steinbergs from up there, because there are roads up there called Steinberg, towns called Steinberg. That I couldn't tell you. Uh-huh. Uh, he, you know, he just sent me the right place at the right time, and he was extra progressive for the time because in 2007, not many people were looking at this as a health crisis. They were looking at it more as a behavioral issue, and thankfully, he understood that mm-hmm. I was a 20-year-old man who needed very clear help, so I could stop coming to see him over and over and over and uh-huh. over again. Wasn't it the same thing, behavioral crisis and a health crisis? I would think that there are behavioral elements, but when you suffer from a substance use disorder, it's a brain disease. And that brain disease isn't a behavioral disease. It's a actual brain disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it is a health issue that needs to be treated medically as opposed to behaviorally. Uh-huh. It's interesting because I heard a speech, it wasn't too long ago, where a gentleman insisted up and down, he had all sorts of evidence that there's no such thing as addiction. It's just a frame of mind. That's and cool. Tell him to come see me. I know. I, you know <laughs> what? I, I talked to the guy. I said, you must be crazy because I used to smoke tobacco. Yeah. And I, I'm telling you, I know what addiction is. Mm-hmm. You, know, you get up in the morning, you have that cigarette, got one more before you finish it up for the night and everything like that. 
Oh, we got a helicopter coming through. Here come the black oh. helicopters. Oh, there it is. Listen, must have known you were on the radio. Kind of. Yes, they do. All right, well, the heck with them. We'll yeah, yeah, we'll keep talking. So the, the whole question really of loud. of addiction. Yeah, they, they land next door. That's we're, impressive. We're right around the corner from two or three TV stations. So they have top brass coming in and leaving all the time. Makes sense. There you go. All right. Now, we've been talking about Second Chance PA, and they're the ones who offer the bed. What happens when they come in the door? Do they, do you uh, stop them cold turkey? Do you? Well, essentially what will happen is the care coordinators will send somebody to an appropriate treatment center. So what happens at each individual treatment center, I can't speak to uh, because it will be different case by case. But on our end as Second Chance PA, we work with the police to get those people into a treatment center instead of a jail bed. Mm-hmm. So case by case, everything's definitely going to be different. I mean, our first case was a, a registered nurse who had a drinking problem and she had a domestic dispute with her husband and ran off and mm-hmm. they found her passed out behind a dumpster in the middle of January. Hmm. Uh, well, middle of December, excuse me. Very cold. Yeah. Uh, she was passed out behind a dumpster, life-threatening situation. And when she woke up, she got a little rowdy with the police officer, hmm. who thankfully had been trained by our staff to understand the nature of the situation. And he made a call to our second chance line. And we actually got that nurse directly into treatment. Uh-huh. And she saved her nursing license by not being charged with, you know, all the different things that officer could have charged her with. Man, you're saving, so. you're saving lives in there. Absolutely. Now, how did you get in there to train the cop? Who trained the cop? So our director of operations, Ben McCoy, and myself personally trained the officers on addiction as a brain disease, which that guy that you were arguing with would definitely not like, but is very (laughs) real if you're Uh watching or listening. Uh It's very real. Uh, We talk a little bit about having compassion in times of crisis and also different levels of care for drug and alcohol treatment, the real way to get somebody from addicted to living life uh-huh. the way I'm able to live. Now, my experience with from the police academy is, like I said, 99% of the cops are, are good, caring people. Are you running into the same sort of thing? Or you find people just like stonewalling and saying, no, nah, they deserve to be locked up. No, the police officers and the chiefs that we have on board with us are 100% committed to their communities and the people that live in them. And I, I think out of every 50 or 60 officers, you might have one stalwart that is like that guy that you were arguing with. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, they're, the guys that we're working with are amazing. They will go to any lengths to help somebody get where they need to go. Uh-huh. And all it takes is a little bit of education and a little bit of training because that's stuff that they miss in the police academy, unfortunately. Because yeah. yeah. they want to help. They just don't know how. And that's what the Second Chance program does is gives them the opportunity to have somebody who does understand care coordination come right to the scene and help them. Mm-hmm. Now, you see, that I didn't see. Because I was not a full officer. I was an auxiliary, so I was helping out with office work, help out at parades, natural disasters, run DUI checkpoints. But the DUI checkpoints, and I talked about this at the, I guess it was episode eight, and it was frightening. I mean, there was no no room at all for any kind of compassion. I mean, they would, first of all, they'd interview the person. If they failed the interview, they would make them walk the line, touch their nose, all that stuff they failed that then next thing you know the breathalyzer comes out and it was lockstep one after the other and it wound up with them in irons in the back of a patrol car being carted away there was absolutely no room for anything yeah and in fact there was one case and it was awful they brought in kids carload of kids 
And the kids were, I mean, I, I can tell, kids had been drinking. But they got the driver, and they got him aside, and they had him blowing the kazoo and everything like that. Kid was 100% sober. And honest to God, there were some people, some of the volunteers there who were disappointed. Because when they saw the kids coming in, the kids were staggering, they thought, we got him, we got him, we got him. But they only had the right to test the driver, not the kids themselves. Yeah. And the driver was clean. Now, in Lancaster County, I'll tell you, we actually have a partnership with the DUI task force that does all of those checkpoints, mm-hmm. uh, whether or not you love the checkpoint. Uh, as a libertarian, I'm sure the answer is absolutely not. Well, do you have, we, oh, have to be a libertarian not yeah, to like, yeah. like them? The FBI did a detailed mm-hmm. study, and they found that roving patrols are much more effective at catching mm-hmm. impaired people, and not just drunk drivers, but people who need sleep. Yeah. People who just had an argument with their wife, or they, they've been, you know, they're passed out behind a dumpster. Yeah. So roving patrols are much more effective. They're cheaper. I mean, I we had a, that. we had a standing army out there. It must have been fifty people mm-hmm. from the police departments from four or five surrounding counties. So we actually got a partnership with them to have a certified recovery specialist or myself to be on scene to help people get into treatment when they need it. Uh, from there. So kind of an extension of the Second Chance program is going on during those DUI checkpoints. Uh-huh. So so how do you insert yourself in that four-step process where you interview, field sobriety test, breathalyzer? Thus far, we've, uh-huh. only, we've only done two of the checkpoints, uh-huh. and we haven't actually had too many people who wanted to go to treatment. Really? Uh, a lot of people, a lot of people uh, flat out deny that they have a problem, and uh, I think thus far we've had one guy that had some meth with him, and uh, uh-huh. we were able to actually take that and discard it and get him into treatement, which uh-huh. we did. Uh-huh. Because that was the, the role that I had. Uh, the first one was to search the cars looking for contraband. Mm. Definitely not a not a fun thing. <laughs> and you could you could go back and listen to that. I think it was episode eight. Was it? Yeah, I guess episode eight or episode nine, right at the end. Really sticks in my craw. It's a tough night. But I'm I'm glad that you're in there, and the police yes. are supportive of all this. Absolutely, I mean it's unbelievable as a person who's been arrested repeatedly, time and time again in my youth, uh, by police officers that I viewed kind of as my enemy, uh, that are now friends to people in addiction, people with problems, and it's just a beautiful thing to be a part of. Fascinating. My guest today is Chris Dreisbach, a very different kind of drug warrior, as we are hearing, and you're listening to the Pennsylvania Project. I'm your caster, Ken Krawchuk, and we'll be right back after this information. Do you need a station Emissions testing, tires, brakes, exhaust, suspension work or routine factory scheduled maintenance? For all your automotive service needs, visit Wireless Auto Service at 700 East Haverford Road in Brimmauer, PA. Wireless Auto even has a Philips 66 gas station where you can fill up at great low prices. Check out Wireless Auto online at wirelessautoservice.com or call them at 610-658-9000. For over 16 years, Wireless Auto Service has been proud to serve the Bryn Mawr, Haverford area. Stop in, say hello, and fill up your tank at Wireless Great New Prices. That's Wireless Auto Service and Philips 66 Gas Station at 700 East Haverford Road in Bryn Mawr, PA, or give them a call at 610-658-9000. Thinking about getting your first tattoo? Maybe you're ready to add to that sleeve you started to you started or cover up that one regretful choice. Put Sam C and his team on of artists at Ironwheel Tattoo Club in Glenside PA at the top of your list. The team at Ironwheel has plenty of designs to choose from. They can create an original design or work with a design that you provide. 
Call 267-893-7625 today to schedule your free consultation. That's 267-8-WE-ROCK or visit them on Instagram at ironwheel2club. Are you a small business owner? Always looking for referrals? Do you have a streamlined approach to generating new referrals? Contact Steve Wally to learn the fast, easy way to generate new referrals. Steven has an all-inclusive system that will help you generate an extra 5 to 10 customers per week without spending a single dollar on ads. You won't have to create a website, have pictures taken, or write a single ad. Steven will take the headache out of the process. Contact him at stevenwally.com. That's Steven with a V. W-E-R-L-E-Y dot com. Are you arranging your finances in the most tax-efficient way possible? Call Freedom Financial Tax at 866-401-1090 today to find out. At Freedom Financial Tax, we use creative tax solutions like infinite banking to make sure you're keeping as much much of your hard-earned money as possible. Let Freedom Financial Tax help you out with a comprehensive tax plan. Call Freedom Financial Tax now at 866-401-1090. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, and we're back with episode 10 of the Pennsylvania Project, and we still have our guest, drug warrior, different kind of drug warrior, Chris Dreisbach, serial entrepreneur, a businessman, CEO of, of, what was that, Blueprints for Addiction Recovery, co-founder of Second Chance PA. Now, we say serial entrepreneur, what were the other serials? You know, Rice Checks, Rice Krispies? So, you know, I'm a Captain Crunch guy, so uh, Crunch Berries, uh, you know, we can talk about that for days. Uh, Peanut butter. I, I had you down as a Fruit Loop guy. Ah, I believe that. <laughs> I believe that. I'm kidding. Uh, no, I mean, I have a, a great construction company in the Lancaster County area. Sells uh-huh. uh, cabinets, kitchens, bathrooms, does all sorts of renovations. Very exciting. Uh-huh. Uh, New Life Kitchens and Baths. Uh, wow. It's a great place. Uh, we've Very different from what you're doing now. Yeah, yeah. We actually uh, hire people in recovery. The vast majority of our staff are people in recovery, people wow. with uh, you know criminal pasts, some checkered checkered pasts, if you will. Uh-huh. So we turn it into a bit of a, a social, I don't want to say experiment, but a social venture to really help wow. people get back on their feet. And no, it's a brilliant idea. You're actually generating your own your own line of future employees. Yeah, absolutely. Pick. I mean, the guys that that run that company specifically uh, uh-huh. are both in recovery. You're both people that. I've worked with years and years ago and have been sober and living great lives. And, uh-huh. you know, any any visitors or any listeners or anything that, that need a new kitchen, a new bathroom, I'd definitely reach out to the guys. Okay. Um, do you have a website for them or something? Yeah, it's uh, ANLKitchensAndBaths.com. ANLKitchensAndBaths. And baths or ampersand baths? A-N-D. A-N-D yep. Spell it all out. We'll make sure that, that gets into the show notes, too. Yeah. You know, I used, used to work with a group. It was Gaudenzia House. I don't even know mm-hmm. if they're still around. They are. They are. But they ran a mobile station up the corner, and these guys were the best mechanics on the planet, you know? They would do it for a better price, and if there's something wrong, they would, they would come back and say, I'll take it. No problem. We'll get it going. People like that are definitely more motivated, I've found, than, than the rest of us. I mean, in the recovery community, you'll find some of the greatest thinkers, some of the greatest minds, some of the greatest workers, some uh-huh. of the most honest and effective people in America, in like, Pennsylvania specifically, uh-huh. uh, 
the recovery community is fantastic. People so. like yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Turn, turn them into serial entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Take their, their checkered past or their chess past. Have you heard? Chess yeah. player. I'm more of a chess guy than a checker guy. I like chess as well. I like checkers. Uh, it's, I flipped the board over. Backgammon. Backgammon is my game. Man. I've never played backgammon. I'm too young for that, Ken. Sorry. Backgammon, <laughs> <laughs> Luke, you should give it a try. It's really good. Now, we've been talking a lot about Second Chance PA, but we haven't done much about blueprints for addiction recovery. I just can't talk today. I don't know what's the matter. I don't know. It must be the Lumina. The air in there was probably <laughs> crushing you a little bit. That's right. It used to be my mom's car, so maybe I'm, I'm still in awe of my dear mother. That's possible, too. We call her Saint Stella now. She's always watching her. Saint Stella, help me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everybody has a problem with, with saying blueprints for addiction recovery. I'm not 100% sure why. It's only a few words. No, um, it's but, because the acronym, B-A-R. Ah. I'm going to the bar. You could theoretically <laughs> say that. Um, yeah, we've been called all sorts of things. Blueprints recovery, <laughs> blueprints addiction, blueprints recovery addiction, you're blueprints. Just, uh, you're just trying to make me feel better now. There's, no, really, though. Everywhere we go, somebody has a problem with it, so don't feel that bad. I mean, all across the state, um, it's just too complicated to put those words together. Yes. So don't feel bad. I feel uh, bad anyway. Too bad. Now you got to make me feel better. i got to come by. i got to recover from this addiction to right. not being able to talk straight. Well, that's why we have here live in studio our outreach coordinator, Tucker Tucker Thompson. Hey. He can get you directly into treatment. That's right. Uh, all you got to do is give him a call, shoot him a text. Or just wave at him from across the room. Or join Toastmasters. That should get me down, too. You could join Toastmasters, and Ken can help you get into treatment at Blueprints because we're going to train him before we leave. We'd have to. So what does Blueprints do? How are they different from Second Chance? So Blueprints is an actual drug and alcohol treatment center. We provide all the levels of care after detox. So you go away for a traditional 28-day stay. It's always kind of the old-school thought of rehab. Uh, That is not the case. That does not fix the addiction problem. 28 days is definitely not sufficient. Agreed. It's the same thing with Toastmasters. Some people say, oh, I've done Dale Carnegie. You know, you get 14 days, you spend $3,000, mm-hmm. 2000 whatever, thousands of dollars, whatever it is. Yeah. And then after that, it wears off in a couple of days, and you're, you're back to the old habits. Where yeah. Toastmasters is, you know, a couple times a month, you do it forever. Yeah. So basically, uh, <clears throat> you'll do that 28 days, but then you'll step down into the next level of care, which is partial hospitalization, which is another 28 to 35 days. And after that, you'll step into an intensive outpatient program, which is 8 to 12 weeks traditionally, three hours a day, three days a week. And after that, for a year or two, Mm. you can continue to come and have individual one-on-one or group therapy. So there is an actual step-down process in place to help somebody recover from addiction instead of just the traditional 28 days and pop back to your old environment. It's Uh not like that anymore. Thankfully, we've progressed beyond that thought that that is okay and we're available to help. Wow. What kind of success rates do you have? Well, I hate the question of success rates because how do you... Then I won't ask it. How do you really measure success? If you ask the people that that I'd harmed 13, 14 years ago, I don't know. Do they they think I'm a success? Um, So some places will tell you we have a 70 or 80% success rate, but you have to ask, how do you measure success? How do you define success? I love it. Great questions. Uh, And you know what I'm... When I'm in, in debates, I always catch my opponents on that because they'll use relative words. Saying, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, it's better if we do this. Well, what do you mean by better? I remember I was at the Philadelphia Inquirer at their editorial board, and they said, do you believe in, in election reform? I said, absolutely. And I stopped. 
<laughs> and it's quiet in the room. All right, how do you see election reform happening? What, what form of election reform would you want? I said, well, first thing to do is ballot access. We got to, I had to get two and a half times as many signatures to get my name on the ballot. But we digress. I'm getting off point here. Yeah, it's okay. It makes sense. I mean, the libertarians in the political field are kind of treated like uh, drug addicts and, and felons in the rest of the world because as a person who's addicted, a person who has a felony, you kind of get shoved down to the bottom. And uh-huh. well, unfortunately, as a, liber- as a libertarian, I'm addicted to freedom. I, I too am addicted to freedom. I love keeping most of my money. And yeah. <laughs> what a concept! <laughs> and you know. I don't see libertarians being treated as badly as you were just saying there. Okay, maybe not as badly. Because I've, I've been in the Libertarian Party now for, what, 25 years. A whole generation. I've been around a long time. In the beginning, though, it was rough. I remember the first time I was going door to door, there was a lady there. I, I said, can I, uh, you know, can I talk to you a minute? I'm running for state representative at the time with the Libertarian Party. And she said, oh, Libertarian? Well, I'm Presbyterian. <laughs> And I see our timer has gone off. There you go. Thank you very much. Otherwise, I wouldn't know how long we could talk here. We can go on forever. Yeah, good. Next thing you know, the sun's going to be going down and coming back up again. And we'll be going into level two treatment and then the the (laughs) long-term stuff. We could. We could talk about that for days. But Mm -hmm. if I could uh, just throw out to any listeners or anybody that could be in need of drug and alcohol treatment or anybody that knows anyone who's struggling – I'd like to throw out Tucker's number, which is 215-692-4791. And also the direct access line to Blueprints is 717-361-1660. And anyone anywhere in Pennsylvania that's listening to this that needs help, please feel free to call either of those numbers. Okay. You want to give those numbers again? Absolutely. Tucker's personal number, so text him, call him all day, every day, please, is 215 692 Four seven nine one. Okay. And the direct twenty four seven admissions line to blueprints is seven one seven three six one one six six zero. Wow. Definitely is going to be helpful. Absolutely. Do you have any kind of a web location out there too? Yep. www.blueprintsrecovery.com. Yeah, pretty straightforward. Absolutely. George Jessen be very proud of you. You're fitting into the twenty first century yeah. very, very, very well. Great website too. Mm-hmm. There will be 360 tours available online of all our facilities very shortly, so mm-hmm. keep your eyes out. Now, we're, we're running short on time, but there's one thing that I forgot, didn't get a chance to cover here. What kind of challenges do you run into? It sounds like you are you go to lift an empty box, you know, and just, because you think it's heavy and everything. Everything you're saying, it looks like everybody's really cooperating with you. Where where do you run into your challenges? The challenges come in in the, the middle to upper tier of government where hmm. – Certain people have to act a certain way in order to continue to, to grow in their political field, if you will. Uh, so some people aren't too partial to the idea of getting people free access to treatment because then they can't boondoggle them up in the justice system. So uh-huh. uh, on the ground floor with the police and the police chiefs, everybody is extremely excited to be able to help the community and help the people that they serve. And some people that are above them sometimes will put the hammer down uh-huh. and say, I'm sorry, I can't make any money off of this free program that will help save lives. So no, 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 no. Uh-huh. And, and that's a, another relative term, free. Who, pay, who pays for all this? I do. You personally? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so Wait. it's free for everybody else. Uh-huh. Free for everybody else. Well, if I can, if I can get personal, how do, you, how do you wind up funding that, that stream? because I'm crazy and I have a very personal 
um, connection uh-huh. to people who get uh, trapped in the justice system because I was trapped in the justice yeah. system. And Been there, done it's that. very important to me that we shift this thought and this way that we treat addiction. Uh-huh. And, um, you know. Well, that's great. Yeah. Chris, that, that's not really great. That's admirable. Thank you. You, you sound like a libertarian, you know? It's strange, yeah. isn't it, that I'm on this show. Well, we have non-libertarians on. We had I know, that's true. <laughs> conservative versus libertarian. The ver- episode one was liberal versus libertarian. That was pretty good. But, you know, we are running short on time. This is, this is just warming up because there's still some other areas of this I would like to explore. We'll Absolutely. have to get you over the bar afterward or something like that. I don't know. We'll see. I don't drink, Ken, just for the record. <clears throat> oh. <laughs> you, you, can, you can watch me drink. I've been sober for a while. Uh, just saying. Well, it's a little easier. I got to practice. I can wind up coming to the, you yeah. know, the blueprints for addiction recovery. You have Tucker's number now. You're good. I do. It, backwards, it's one nine seven four two nine six five one two. Don't do that. I have no idea what you just did. <laughs> <laughs> I said his number backwards. No, I'm one of those days. All right, we're gonna have to do. That's gonna have to wrap it up for the them portion of our show. I have to thank again my guest, the libertarian drug warrior Chris Streisbach. Thanks for being here, Chris. Thanks, Ken. Great having you here on the Pennsylvania Project. We're going to pause now for some information, and when we return, I'm going to be ranting about something that really sticks in my craw, laws that kill citizens. Following is a commercial announcement. Hey, Calvin. How's it going? Eh, could be better. Why? What's the matter? I just found a great job, but I can't take it. Why not? They want me to go as a 1099 contractor. So? So what about all the taxes? Federal taxes, state taxes, this tax, that tax. I have better things to do than figuring out the tax laws and filling out all those forms. I'm a libertarian, remember? Well, then you need Amendment 16. Hey, it's the damn 16 amendment that got me into this predicament in the first place. No, no, no. Amendment 16, the invoicing service. They'll invoice your client for the hours and expenses you report to them, and when your client pays them, they pay you. Minus all required state and federal taxes. It's that easy. One call does it all. They'll even have an accountant do your personal taxes for you come April Fool's Day. I mean, April 15th. And they take care of all the taxes? All the forms? Yep. And they can pass along certain tax breaks, too. Sounds perfect. Where do I find them? On the web, of course, at amendment16.com, with 16 spelled out. Amendment, S-I-X-T-E-E-N, dot com. One call does it all. You've been registered. You've been a registered libertarian for years, voted for libertarians even longer, and lived by libertarian principles all your life. Now it's time to take the next step and join the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. Keep abreast of the march toward liberty in Pennsylvania. Take an active role in making it happen. Maybe even consider running for local political office yourself. It all starts with joining the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. It's easy fast and only $20 a year. So visit lppa.org to sign up today. That's lppa.org. Do it today. A freer future is waiting. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here again, and welcome to the me portion of episode 10 of the Pennsylvania Project. Me portion is my favorite because I get to rant about something that really sticks in my craw. And as I've been warning you this whole show, You know what really sticks in my craw? Laws that kill citizens. I'm thinking of one law in particular. It killed someone yesterday evening while you were busy watching Facebook. 
And while you were sleeping last night, two more died from it. And another died while you were enjoying your breakfast this morning, and two more died while you were at work, then another while you were having lunch. Two more before you got home, and then another in the evening when you were back scanning your Facebook stuff. And that pattern repeats day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, almost like clockwork. Every 2.5 hours, another Pennsylvanian dies, all because of this one law. According to the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, thousands have died so far, victims of a terrible scourge, a scourge directly caused by law. What is this scourge? What is this law that's killing people? The scourge has a name. It's called the opioid crisis. It's a scourge that can fell anyone, from famous people like Edgar Allan Poe to singer Tom Petty to everyday people. And, you know, four out of five of them are minorities, even though, according to Scientific American, most opioid users are not minorities. You may even know some of these victims yourself. I hope not. Good grief. Unfortunately, it's not just Pennsylvania. Nationwide, from 2002 to 2015, according to the National Institute of Health, there's been an almost six-fold increase in the total number of opioid deaths. According to the American Society of Addictive Medicine, it's the leading cause of accidental death in America. More die from opioids than were killed in Vietnam, Afghanistan, and Iraqi wars combined. More than are now lost to guns and car accidents combined. Now, i got to stop you here. Did you catch? I had a key word in there. Opioid deaths are the leading cause of accidental deaths. The deaths were virtually all accidents. Thousands died who did not mean to die. So how did these accidents happen? According to Scientific American, there are two overwhelming causes. The first one, simple ignorance. Because opioids can kill when, they mix, when they're mixed with commonly available things, like alcohol, certain prescription drugs. It's easy to make a mistake. Second most common cause, quality control. Because they're street drugs, remember? There's no quality control at all. You never know what you're getting. It's like walking into a bar and ordering a beer and they give you moonshine. You never know what you're getting. So they're the two things, ignorance, quality control. Terrible scourge. Kills another Pennsylvanian every two and a half hours. And virtually every one of those deaths is accidental and preventable. I see Chris over here nodding his head up and down. He's the man who would know. So what do we do? Here at the Pennsylvania Project, we're all about solutions. There's a big challenge, the opioid crisis. Obviously, what we're doing now is not working. Otherwise, we wouldn't have this crisis. But suppose I could tell you a way where we could reduce opioid use by 75%, reduce opioid deaths by 85%, reduce HIV-related infections by more than 90%. Would that catch your interest? Because those are the results recently published by the Portuguese Health Ministry. How did that happen? Back in 2001, almost 20 years ago, Portugal had a modest proposal, a counterintuitive proposal. Do you know how they achieved those dramatic results? They identified the exact law that was responsible for killing all those people, a law that Pennsylvania currently has on the books, a one law that's responsible for thousands of deaths. Do you know which law it is? 
It's the war on drugs. Do you know what Portugal did? They repealed that law. They ended their insane war on drugs. And not by taking mamby-pamby steps like allowing certain medical cannabis for certain diseases that's only available to certain people like Pennsylvania has done. Thank you very much. They took giant steps, meaningful steps, sweeping steps. They legalized all drugs, including opioids. Portugal faced a compassionate truth that addiction is not a crime. Instead of calling sick people criminals and putting them in cages, like they did to poor Chris, Portugal addressed the two key causes of accidental death that were identified by Scientific American, ignorance and quality control. They addressed ignorance by providing a free social worker to any addict to advise the addict of the dangers. So Portugal provides counseling to anyone, and everyone gets it. As compared to America, where only 10% of the people get counseling. And they'll tell the, the, the addict, don't drink with that. It's dangerous if you drink with that opioid. Oh, don't mix it with that prescription. So right off the bat, they're eliminating deaths related to the ignorance. That's how they, half of how they got that 85% reduction in opioid deaths. On the other side, they address the quality control issue by providing free drug purity testing. So if an addict goes out and cops some street drugs, they walks in the testing center and, and they'll test it for him. And they'll tell him, be careful with that. It's got fentanyl in it. Or wait a minute, it's coffee mate. Go back and get your money. You got ripped off. Portugal also provides opioid substitutes, such as methadone. All these things, when they're taken together, that eliminates deaths pretty much completely from poor quality control. The bottom line that Portugal achieved by repealing that one law, they saw a dramatic drop in deaths from ignorance, a dramatic drop in deaths from impurities. Man, oh man. Then there's always the question, question I ask Chris, who pays for it? I don't know if Chris is supporting the entire country of Portugal, but I do know how they are paying for it. Turns out that their plan is incredibly cheaper than our insane war on drugs. Where the United States spends about $10,000 per household per year on drug programs, in Portugal, it's less than $10 per citizen per year. So Portugal's approach makes economic sense. It makes humanitarian sense. Good grief. So let's take a giant step back. What can we learn from all this? I'll quote the New York Times. Great one. Quote, The lesson that Portugal offers the world is that while we can't eradicate heroin, it's possible to save the lives of the drug users if we're willing to treat them not as criminals, but as sick, suffering human beings who need helping hands, not handcuffs. So there you have it. A modest proposal to reduce opioid use by 75%, reduce opioid deaths by 85%, and reduce H- <clears throat> excuse me, HIV infections by more than 90%. It's a future worth having. We only have to reach for it, hopefully, before another two and a half hours passes. <sighs> Makes you wonder why we keep that law in Pennsylvania. But we do. Some politicians are even doubling down on that with their insane war on drugs. Why? Why? To quote the late Irv Homer, great talk radio host who was on WWDB radio here in Philadelphia before, it boggles the mind. On that sad note, that's going to have to wrap it up for episode 10 of the Pennsylvania Project. If you have something to say, we'd love to hear from you. 
You can contact us here at PennsylvaniaProject.com, and you can hear us there, too, as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, Google, and other popular podcast providers. Today's episode is courtesy of Amendment 16 Limited, recorded live at the studio of WWDB Radio, broadcasting at 10 a.m. every Saturday at 8.60 a.m. in Philadelphia, and podcast every Tuesday at PennsylvaniaProject.com. Our technical producer today is Paul Nicotera, featured Toastmaster narrator, Toastmaster Kevin. Excuse me. <clears throat> Where's that cough button? Featured Toastmaster narrator, Toastmaster Calvin Canali. Webmaster Stephen Worley. Marketing guru, Connor Driotis. Keyboard wizard, Joe the Pag. Executive producer, Mark Bizzacco. And me, your caster, Ken Krawchuk. Thanks for joining us. And remember, more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem. <laughs>